0: hello jordan what's up michael how you doing
1: dude i'm great i'm great
0: i realized something
1: oh, okay go on
0: i like people who everyone hates okay do you want to give a specific
1: name or just general
0: well the, the one i was thinking of was jake paul Oh, okay like I don't know what it is, but seeing someone, even if I, even if I'm completely neutral on the person and then I see in their comment section, everyone is just lighting them up for some reason. I mean, unless the person's actually bad, evil, like does something that I don't like, but if, if they're, if I'm just neutral on them, that makes me really like them. Why do you think? Just feels so like unwarranted hate. I don't know. I, I think maybe it's because I I disrespect the the people in the comment section more than the person in the arena. I'm I'm not exactly sure, but I've noticed it in other areas too, where like I could be neutral on someone, but because the masses hate them, I'm like, you know what? I actually kind of like him or
1: her. Well, what do
0: you like about Jake Paul? Uh, I like that he speaks his mind. I like yep. I like that he was basically a non-athlete, right? Like a high school athlete, but not an athlete. He was a, an entertainer who went all in on a sport and like really dedicated everything to getting better and has become quite proficient at boxing. Yeah. Um You know, and, and back to the first thing, like I'm actually, I mean, fantastic marketer, but I don't like,
1: I don't like aspire towards great marketers. You just but- respect his marketing acumen. And the lengths he's willing to go to market. Like he goes he he really when he goes all in on it, he goes all in. I don't even know if I respect that though, because
0: when like when he made comments <laughs> back and forth with Connor, like I actually I actually didn't like that. But I don't think that the, the quote unquote negative things he's done deserve the mass amounts of hate from people in the in the stands who are just mm. watching anonymously what are the a lot that, of times. What are the negative things he's done? Uh, well, calling Connor's wife a four or whatever, like like <laughs> <laughs> yeah, things that are just, are just kind of off the table. Like, yeah, yeah. And I don't know. I, I don't actually know. That's the one that came to mind for me, but. Got it. Seeing that negative feedback and for anyone, you asked me to name a name, so that's the first one that came to my mind. But for anyone just like makes me actually root for that person. You know what? I actually – in recent times have felt this way about Gary to an extent who you and I both know very like deeply and well to see like more online hate really bothers me. And like, I I don't know. It's not really the same, but has he been getting more than usual lately? Um, not on his stuff. No, but I have seen just, random YouTube shorts where the YouTube comments aren't, aren't great at all. And like completely unwarranted and inaccurate.
1: And like, yeah, that one hits home because we know him. Like, we know Gary, like we know who he is. We know his ethos. We know like hit, like how good of a person he actually is. And so behind the scenes, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, with Jay, it's funny. I, I, I don't, have the same thing as you in terms of like I th- I feel like oftentimes like you, you like even just then when I said like the marketing thing, you went the no, no, even that, no, I don't even like that part. Like you often go the complete opposite direction of whatever someone will say. In terms of people saying, Oh, I don't like that person, I don't like that person, it doesn't make me like them. I my initial reaction is thinking about the people who are leaving those comments. It's like, how, how does, how do you say you don't like someone that you don't know? And it's, that's to me, unless you've seen them do terrible shit online, that's a different thing. But, um, and to be fair, I think anytime someone calls out someone else's family members, that's like no go. So for Jake, I didn't even know that he called Connor's wife before, uh, or maybe I did know that and I just forgot it. But, um, That is very inappropriate for me. Um, So I don't like that. But I think it's – here's what I think. I also think it's important to remember – I didn't say I don't like Jake. I said I don't like that he did that. I think that's a distinction that people really struggle with is as soon as they see someone do something they don't like, if they don't know the person, their first reaction is, I don't like that person. But if it's someone that you know personally, it's easier to separate one of their actions from all of their actions, right? Where it's like, mm-hmm. okay, well, I really like that person. I don't agree with everything they say or do, like this specific action, but I still like that person. So I think people online are just so quick to judge and to hate and to call out. It's just, yeah, it's, it's a mess. And especially when someone like Jake, who's unbelievably successful in terms of business, um, and he's loud, he's loud. I think it's easy for people to look at someone loud, and just immediately say they don't like that person. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. And Gary's loud too. Gary's loud in different ways. But anyone who's loud, I mean, it's funny, like there are threads about me online and it's just like and I'm not even that loud, you know? But people people like to pick and choose and hate people for it's it's very interesting that I don't know. Yeah, it's just interesting. When you get to a certain size, even if you're not loud, even if you're not
0: controversial,
1: like you're still
0: gonna have people dislike you.
1: Yeah, no matter what, no matter yeah. what. Yeah, and it's there's also a difference between not liking someone and then going out of your way to trash talk that person publicly. That mm-hmm. is another thing that just blows my mind. It's like I couldn't imagine leaving a public comment, like, "Oh my god, I, d- I didn't tell you. Did you see my story? I, d- I know you're not on social. You go on Dude, social media no, once every like twelve months. I did.
0: Who was like, yeah. I, I. I had to stop watching this when I found out he's a Jew. That, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah.
1: Like, I couldn't, I I can't imagine, take away the anti-Semitism component. Take away that. I just couldn't imagine leaving that type of a comment about anyone like, oh, like, I stopped watching this person. Or, or the people who leave the comment, like, I'm unfollowing this person. Like, mm-hmm. why are you commenting that? <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. That to me it's just it's very odd. It's very odd that behavioral component that I don't fully understand. Yeah. And
0: I do I like the option of anonymity, but it definitely promotes more of that type of behavior, like
1: YouTube comments and Twitter specifically. Yeah. I <laughs> I had to take I I left what I thought was a funny comment and replied to that guy saying I had to stop watching when I found out he was Jewish. Um, my initial response was going to be an emotional, uh, angry response. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: But I, I literally, was like, okay, I got very strategic with it. I was like, okay, this is an opportunity for me to reply in a way that would garner respect from people. And, uh, and so I literally, I took about 15 minutes and sat down and was like, okay, what's the best way for me to reply to this that is going to garner respect? Also let him know that that comment is inappropriate and he shouldn't do it. And he actually ended up deleting the comment, which I thought really? was, yeah, he deleted it. Um, and I always, my, my way, I'm not saying this is the right way, but my way is with humor. Trying to find humor is I think one of the best ways to nullify or mitigate when someone is leaving those types of comments, because it's essentially it's, it's your way of just being like, ah, just letting it roll off your shoulder. It didn't roll off my shoulder. I was deeply upset about it, Mm -hmm. but being able to, to reply. And and I think that's one of the, you know, sometimes when you get in an argument with someone and then later you go home and you get in the shower, you're like, oh, I should have said this. I should have said that. I should have said this. The cool part about online comments is you have that opportunity to not reply emotionally, Mm. not reply. Just take 15 minutes and think, okay, other people are going to see this comment. What can I say that's going to actually lead to a good response? How can I turn this into a positive? So yeah, that's, I think it's an important thing to to keep in mind. Dude, I love that. And I'm even more interested in it in real life,
0: meaning not being reactive or emotionally responsive to, mm. to, many, to many different emotions. Anger is a really good one that I think, you know, a lot of men specifically can probably relate to. Sloth is another one. Like you don't mm-hmm. have – your actions don't have to map to how you're, you feel. You can choose different actions. Um, but you might not have 15 minutes to in, in real life, but you can pause, take a breath, decide how to come back, decide what to say or what not to say, decide the tone of voice that you say it in. And these are things that as a kid weren't even on my radar. Right. And, and only like over the years, have I started to develop a better ability to separate, uh, emotional response from action. And the bigger I can make that, that gap, the more like room I can create for myself, the better my life has, has become. And yeah, you know, I don't, I don't know like how to maximally do that. Right. It's like a very present, very like, you know, not necessarily my strong suit. I know that times I've been meditating have helped. I know that, uh, you know, being well-rested and, and, you know, taking training seriously and like being in good shape. These are things that help. And then just making it intentional and making it a practice. And like, you know, it's a cliche for a reason, right? Think before you speak, like, Oh, maybe, maybe that thing we learned in fifth grade, like we should all
1: do that. Yeah, yeah. I think with in a, in a day and age in which everything you say is documented now, whether you realize everything is documented, like take the time to think about it, really think about it and not just think about what the person you're talking to is going to think, but the people that have a very high probability of seeing it who are not involved in the discussion. Are
0: One sec. Are you, are you talking about comments online or are you talking about your phone listening to you in conversations in real life? I was talking
1: about comments online. Okay. I was All not. Right. Th- All, <laughs> right. All right. Just, just making sure <laughs> we're on the same page. Yeah. I was not thinking about whoever is listening in our phones, whether it's TikTok or everything, which yeah, that's another thing. It's Don't you I this might be the conspiracy theories coming out in me, but you know a lot of conspiracy theories are coming out to be true, but why are they trying so hard to ban TikTok? It's like every app that we have gets an insane amount of information from us. I can't help but think. I I mean, I would imagine Facebook and or Meta or whatever it's called and Instagram and all these other platforms have a huge vested interest in trying to remove TikTok not because of the information they're gathering, but because it's a huge competitor. So if you can get a competitor off the market, well, then everyone in the United States who is on TikTok would probably then go to Instagram or another platform, right, it's like it's uh, I have to think there's gotta be lobbying going on behind the scenes to politicians to say, hey, let's push this to get it out. And let's really hammer home that them gathering data when the amount of data they are, like every cup knows everything about us. The devil's advocate
0: argument would be that not these other big social media platforms aren't essentially owned by the Chinese state. Right. Would be would be the other side of that. Guess what? I don't even know what's going on on that front. I didn't even tell you this because for basically four days, I haven't been scrolling at all. That's amazing. Yeah.
1: Like no social media, no nothing?
0: Uh, I'm, I'll am i pop on to Instagram, which is rare because I basically never do, to check in on people, which is something I'm trying to be intentional about. If you think about the way social media has changed over the last few years and gone ga- gone from like following friends or following people to the interest graph, mm. right? So my YouTube shorts, my Twitter for you, like TikTok is, isn't giving you the people you follow, it's giving you stuff you're interested in. And, and I have found that to be completely worthless and a huge decay in my life. I'm trying to replace Mm -hmm. that scrolling with reading books. And then at the same time, checking in on human beings, which I find Instagram is the best place to do that. You're Um, checking
1: in to make sure I'm posting for the personal trainer podcast (laughs) page. And you are, (laughs) and you're killing it. No, but that even like,
0: like friends, like, I don't know. I have like friends, wives who post pictures of their kids. It's like fun to check in on like. Other people in the fitness industry, people in the mentor, like literally checking in on people that I'm thinking about rather than just mindlessly opening YouTube and consuming an hour of shorts laying in bed at night before I fall asleep. It's like, no, instead I'm going to read this fictional book that I really enjoy and that like, I act- I know it sounds insane because it's been four days, but I notice a difference. <laughs> I wake up in the morning and I don't reach for my phone. I like, while the coffee pot is going, I got to wait seven minutes. I'm reading Peter Atia's book rather than mm. scrolling on my phone, which is unheard of in a very short amount of time. So I,
1: I don't know. I think there's something there. Dude, absolutely. <coughs> absolutely something there. Big time. You're reading Harry Potter right now?
0: Yeah, I'm reading the first Harry Potter. I, I thought of this Naval quote about, not judging what you read and just reading what genuinely interests you. And uh, and I have like some fiction that I really like on my bookshelf. I was like, which of these books do I actually want to read tonight? I was like, I'm grabbing this.
1: Dude, those Harry Potter books are so good. Unbelievable. They're so good. So many life lessons in there. Yeah. The writing is great. Yep. What should we talk about? Should we dive into Q&A? Yeah, let's do it. Last podcast was more, more chit chat. Let's talk about, uh, let's go answer some questions from, from listeners. Let's do it. You want to
0: fire up, uh, you got a Q&A oh. box? All of, all of my emails are five paragraph emails. So you know what? This is a great opportunity. If you want your question answered on the podcast, jump on Instagram. Personal Trainer Podcast is our handle. Give it a follow. Why not? And then just fire over a DM with your question and uh, and we'll start pulling from there.
1: Okay, so I have a question. I'm almost positive this, because this person asked on my my page, um, I'm almost positive they're asking this in relation to fitness progress, but let's talk about this in relation to fitness business progress. Okay. Negative self-talk that, this isn't a question, it's just, they didn't ask a question, but they're struggling with negative self-talk that comes with slow progress. Which makes mm. me think about what type of slow progress coaches might be having with their business, and maybe the the negative self talk that comes with it. Do you have any immediate thoughts? Does that light any bulbs up? Uh, any any sensors for you about slow progress that coaches might be having? Whether it's getting more followers, getting more clients, uh, learning how to be a better coach, learning program design, learning exercise selection uh, learning hat, like whatever, any type of slow progress. Yeah. I feel like the most common type of slow progress here is in
0: terms of following and business growth. So yeah. number of clients, money and following is, are the types of questions or complaints most commonly voiced? Um, I mean, there's a couple of things. One is a mismatch between expectation and reality. So you think you see everyone getting 20 clients within their first month of launching their online business or even like having a six-figure business within a year of launching their business and you think that's what you should get to. Maybe those are other people in the industry. Maybe those are advertisements. Maybe they're pre-rolls on YouTube that you see. Uh, That isn't how it works for 99.9% of people, both of us included. Like Mm -hmm. resetting proper expectations for speed of growth for your business is is going to make you um, – having the right expectation is going to lead to you not being disappointed, right? If you know that, okay, it's going to take months and months and months of posting before I even potentially have my first client and that's like a cost of doing business, that's a cost of like doing this the right way for the long term, then you're not going to be pissed. When you're three months in and you've been posting every day, but you don't have any new clients yet. So, so resetting that expectation is, is one. The other one's accountability uh, where, you know, you'll see a lot of like, oh, the algorithm, oh, the like basically outsourcing uh, responsibility to anyone or anything other than oneself. Anytime I've posted and it doesn't do well, like, I just assumed that it wasn't good. It's like, oh, I better do better mm-hmm. next time. Like, and and maybe this isn't helpful on the self-talk side of things, but no, assuming that anything that isn't going well is your own fault and that you have the power to change that and course correct is uh, is an important mindset um, for continued growth and and just for like building over time.
1: Yeah. You know, I think you and I have, very unique insight. You, you said it's rapid growth is not the case for 99% of people. And I think it rolls off the tongue and we hear that all the time. And I think it's easy for people to be like, ah, oh, that's not true or overlook how it, how accurate that that is. I think you and I have very unique insight into this specifically because in the mentorship, we do a challenge every month. Every month we do a challenge. And sometimes the challenges are short form content, whether it's uh, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, something like that. It could be long form content, YouTube, podcast. It could be getting new clients, uh, doing a launch, seeing how many clients you can get during a launch. It could be how many people you get on your email list, whatever it is. New challenge every month. And we, we give instructions on how to do that and how you're going to go after it. And one of the incentive, or the incentive of the challenge or one of the incentives aside from growing your business is the winner of that challenge gets a call with Mike and I. And so we go through these challenges and and the results that these people have. And every single time we announce the challenge winner, not sometimes, every time, we always have to preface and say, just so you know, the person who won, usually the person who wins the challenge wins by an unbelievable margin. Someone will get... 2000 new email subscribers. Someone will gain 10,000 new Instagram followers. Someone will get 150 new uh coaching consult requests. Whatever it is, something insane. That's just that one person. Every single other person, 99% of or 99.9% of the other coaches taking part in the challenges get like 12 email subscribers and get like six new followers. And and they're not, it's not bad. It's just, we always have to say, this is the winner and this is what the winner did, but it does not represent what the vast majority of you did. And, and I think it's such unique insight to have because this negative self-talk comes from finding that one person. You, you find the one person who's just blowing up and doing insane. And then you always compare yourself to them. Mm-hmm. We can even look at this from famous athletes. Like they call them the goat, the greatest of all time for a reason. As soon as you think of football, often Tom Brady, you think of basketball, you think Michael Jordan, LeBron James, um, you think golf, Tiger Woods, whatever it is. You think of the goats, the greatest of all time, but think about how many professional basketball players whose names you don't even know. How many professional basketball players are in the NBA who you've never heard of? You could literally sit next to them on a bus, on a plane, on a train, and you'd have no clue who they were. You 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 would know who LeBron James is. I don't I don't know the last time I watched a basketball game, but I know who LeBron James is. Right? I don't I don't know the last time I watched uh, any golf thing ever, but I know exactly who Tiger Woods is. But I don't I don't know any other golfers. So. Even in the elite highest level of all of these things, there's still outliers. There's still like the 1%, that's less than 1% of who just absolutely blow up. So it's really, really important to keep in mind that, uh, I'm not going to say don't compare yourself to those people because I think comparing yourself to those people in, in the right way of comparison can actually drive you to do better. And motivate you and to see that it's possible. I think one of the coolest things about this is for so many years, people thought a four minute mile was impossible. People could, they were like, it's physiologically impossible to run a four minute mile. And then one guy did it, I forget his name. And immediately after this, one guy ran the four minute mile, hundreds of people ran the four minute mile because they're, oh, it's possible. So the discomfort that I'm feeling or whatever it is, it just, I, push through it, keep going, keep going. They didn't push through discomfort because they thought it was physiologically impossible until one person did it. And then hundreds have done it since. So I'm not going to say don't compare yourself. I actually don't really like that idea, but it's don't be excef- excessively hard on yourself if you're not getting the same results. It's yes. It's a It's really, really important to be aware of.
0: Well, and recognize that if you're going to compare yourself to someone else, you have to compare your life to their life and mm-hmm. you don't know everything about their life. You don't know that that person has wild demons from childhood pushing him or her to work 17 hours a day. Mm -hmm. But what you said that I really like is compare yourself in, in the aspirational part of it, right? Like looking up to that, but don't judge yourself for not getting there. And understand that survivorship bias makes us only see these like the elite of the elite who who outlasted everyone else who made it. And the, like your example of the hundreds of people in the NBA who you wouldn't even know them if you're sitting next to them on a plane. Like I think I can think of 12 people off the top of my head of, in the mentorship who, you know, they've maybe won one challenge, but they're never blowing people out of the water. They've never signed 20 co- coaching clients in a single month. They've, but little by little month over month, year after year built, 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 built to the point where they have basically a full roster and, and haven't done it with any massive spikes.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? It, and it's Chris, It's Chris interesting Giggs, to see- you with, Brooks Service. Yeah, yeah, keep going.
0: Jeff yeah. Packman. Like Andy Tate, there are a whole bunch of people where it's been slow and steady and, uh, and they've gotten into a place where if you look back two years, it's like, wow, I almost don't even recognize where I was then compared to where I am now. But there was never like a, there was never this curve.
1: Yeah. And then- It's funny because then the new people will come into the mentorship and they'll see someone like Brooks or someone like Jeff or whoever it is. And they'll be like, oh, my God, like these people have a full roster. They're killing it. And they don't realize that it was just two, three, four years ago that they first joined the mentorship and they had nothing. And they were thinking that about the other people who are are more veterans in the group. Mm -hmm. It's uh, the vast majority of people have a slow grinding process before they get to a point in which they, they achieve a certain level of success. So, and I know it didn't really address the negative self-talk aspect as much as just like realistic expectations, but I think negative self-talk comes from unrealistic expectations. That's really, and you need to be aware of it. And so when you start noticing you're having negative self-talk, remind yourself, okay, who am I comparing myself to? And is this actually serving me? And does it even make sense? Do I even know what's going on behind the scenes or am I just going based off of either what I'm seeing on social media or what someone told me? And also you have to remember people lie a lot. I've seen a number and and I say number, I mean a large number of people lie about how much money they make, how many clients they have all of this stuff I mean listen people in the fitness industry lie about using steroids all the time what makes you think that that coaches aren't lying about how many clients they have or mm-hmm. whether or not they've bought followers or they're buying likes or whatever it is I mean people lie all the time so and then just the other aspect which is just negative self-talk it just it it doesn't help that's really the the bottom like it doesn't help in any way, shape or form, there's no, you don't get any benefit from it. You were talking about how, when you would do a post and didn't do well, you just be like, yeah, maybe it just sucked the way that I, I, you know, the, there's a, a very common phrase. You're only as good as your at your lot. You're only as good as your last at bat. And I think in some cases that's true, but in terms of social media, I don't think that's true at all. The way that I look at social media is if I have a bad post, or never, I'm not going to go that route just yet. I'll, instead of saying when I have a bad post, what I'll say is the way I look at every post is every post is a test. It's a test. I'm, I'm, it's just, I'm taking a quiz and sometimes I'll get a hundred percent. And like I did really well. I aced that quiz. Other times I, I flunked that quiz. I didn't, I, I didn't do well. And, that's it. It it doesn't mean you should delete the post. Doesn't mean that it didn't happen. You should actually leave it up and learn from what you just did so that you can move forward and try and not make mistakes, the same mistakes that you might've made. And there's a chance that it had nothing to do with you. I've had posts where it got a terrible response. And then I reposted that same exact post a year later and it absolutely went fucking bonkers. Same exact post. So sometimes it has nothing to do with you. It's just the the t- wrong time, wrong place. But either way, don't you're you're not as good at you're not only as good as your last at bat when it comes to social media posting at all. It's that's just another test. Like it's sort of like um if you have 20 tests or quizzes throughout your semester in school, you could get a zero on one and still probably ace the class like depending on the percentage of however much each test is relative to your grade. But if each test is equal and you've got 20 tests over the course of a semester at <sighs>
0: brutal, the end of the, at brutal the, end of the class.
1: year, brutal, brutal class, class, you know, 20 tests, in the- <laughs> you could, you could still do super well. Yeah. So, yeah.
0: Two things. One, when you talk about each post being a test, the purpose of the test in that example is to make something that people engage with. Mm-hmm. And two, on the subject of self-talk, a practice used by by therapists and clinical psychologists is to have someone who's struggling with self-talk, anytime you're negatively, like if you're berating yourself internally, grab a phone, leave a voice memo, and talk to yourself as if you're your best friend. It might sound cliche. You may have heard this 500 times, but if you're really struggling with self-talk, do this and talk to yourself like you are your best friend. What would you say if your best friend made the quote-unquote mistake that you just made? You suck. You're a piece of shit. You should quit. Probably not. I mean, I doubt most people would say that to their best friend. Say, hey, this this wasn't even that bad. You know, you could maybe improve a little here and here, but you're being really consistent. Like you'd be much more encouraging and positive than if you're berating yourself. So give that approach a, a try. I
1: also, going on that front, I I love the self-talk, like leaving yourself a voice memo, having conversation with yourself. And I love the example that you just gave of the conversation because you didn't say number one, you didn't say I'm a piece of shit or you're a a piece of shit. Yeah. And you also didn't say you're the best. Like you're Mm -hmm. literally the best. It's like, no, you're not like, so don't talk yourself up in a way that's also horseshit. Like, okay, let's actually analyze what I did. To be fair, I only spent 15 minutes on the post and like, how good of a post, how good could it be if it's only 15 minutes? I've heard Jordan and Mike talk about how a lot of posts take three, four or five hours on Instagram. And I only spent 15 minutes objectively. And if I like, you know what, maybe it was actually closer to four minutes because the rest of the minutes I was actually just sort of screwing around and having a conversation. I wasn't really focused on it. So be fully honest and have a real conversation with yourself. Um, I would even maybe think about it. The, the, I've always said best friend. This is going be maybe the first time I'll say this because I'm just sort of thinking about it right now. Sometimes for your best friend, like you really talk them up. You'll just talk them up, talk them up. Maybe if it's like your sibling or, or a spouse, someone who's like, you really need them to be better for the relationship and like thinking about like, okay, I can have a, and I, maybe you have a really on, amazing best friend. I think like Mike and I, like we could have a real honest conversation without trying to talk each other up, like we'd just be blunt about it. But if you are the type of person that's always just going to talk up to your best friend and not be honest, then think about a sibling or a parent or a, or a spouse that like, hey, we need to have a real sit down conversation, and discuss what's going on here. Or even a client is a good one. Like someone who you
0: really, really, really want to help. Mm, yeah. Be your own client. Yeah. Coach yourself. I love it. What else we got? Let's see. I I had a concept if you don't have a question right there. Okay. Go for it. Biggest things that we got wrong. Dude, that's a great one. Why didn't you lead off with this one? I don't know. I just had it, had it buried in my notes. Do you want to start? I definitely can because I have a few ideas unless you have- excuse me, anything jumping to mind? No. One of the biggest things I got wrong in this one, basically everyone got wrong was the relationship between meal frequency and metabolism. Oh, wow. Okay. You're going real like science myth. Okay. I cool. don't know. Yep. No, and we can, we can take this all over. We can take it wherever we want to. So expand on that we used to think that the thermic effect of food, which is a component of metabolism, was driven by how often you eat and that if you are continually eating, you stoke the metabolic fiber and you burn more calories via the thermic effect of food, basically the calorie expenditure of digestion. Um, and we found out that actually the total amount of food we eat and and somewhat the the different types like protein having a higher thermic effect than carbs and fats, but the total amount of calories we consume is what drives the thermic effect of food not meal frequency so it doesn't matter if we're having one or two giant meals or six to seven small meals if the total calories and macronutrient intake are roughly the same you're going to be burning the same number of calories via digestion
1: to be fair like yeah you were wrong about that but that's what you were taught that's like Yay. what we were taught in school and everything like correct i'm laughing because i'm thinking I wonder if we're at the point now, like if we're aging ourselves in the industry by saying we used to think that because <laughs> we look I like have <laughs> a strong, I have a strong feeling that a ton of people who listen to this podcast, they learned that as soon as they got into the industry, they're like, oh, and they just learned flat out that meal frequency like doesn't really dictate metabolic rate. Mm-hmm. And so I, I'm picturing a lot of people who listen being like, This is what we learned from day one. You guys are idiots. Which is funny because like back in the day, it was, that was not what was taught. That's Mm -hmm. not, it's at all. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you have anything from a business perspective, not like a science perspective, like any big mistakes?
0: Jordan, You know me.
1: I'm not really a businessman. Most of my business
0: successes were predicated on. uh, You've just never made any business mistakes. You've just. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no mistakes. Um, well, my next two were related to uh direct abdominal training and uh and always trying to maintain too low of a body fat percentage. So, and those are both mistakes, by the way. Anything business related, man. We just hit business so good and hard in that previous question. I was hoping we could have a little after, after consuming all of, all of those micronutrients of business, I thought maybe we could enjoy like some like fitness ice cream talk, but. Okay. So it was what you said you have core training, like ab training and what was the other one? Direct ab training and trying to stay too lean for too long. Oh, that's a good one. I like that one a lot. Let's talk about that one. It's, it's just one, miserable, two, nobody cares, three, it's so hard to gain muscle um, when you're trying to maintain a super low body fat percentage. And it's important to remember that, that this number is going to be different for everyone. And this look is going to be different for everyone. Like you kind of need to go by how you as an individual feel. I I can probably maintain slightly lower body fat levels than the average person without experiencing any negative downsides, any downside in energy. Why? Levels, any- Why is that? You're so good at that. I don't know. I, I actually don't even know if I'm that lean. You know what? You know what I want to do after reading seven and a half chapters of uh, Outlive? And that that book club is still coming eventually. Um, Probably two, three episodes from now is get a DEXA. Cause I'm very curious about my like subcutaneous to visceral fat uh, ratio and composition. Dude, I bet you're, you're, you think you're sub 10? No, absolutely not. Sub 15? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Sub 12? Probably around there. Okay. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if I'm 12 or 13. Although with the high caffeine fast day yesterday, if I string together too many more of those, I might end up shredded like 2015 again and watch out. If that happens <laughs> yeah. um, what okay, do you So have yours. An, any any thoughts on staying too lean for too long or just any general like uh things you got wrong
1: yeah there's a lot I mean in terms of staying too lean for too long, I know you haven't had much of an issue with this, but personally, it exacerbates real disordered eating habits in me mm-hmm. like real like. And that's why I've stayed away from it for so long. There, There's a reason why the lowest I'll get is like 145, which is probably about like 11 to 13% body fat in that mm-hmm. range. Because I know for a fact, as soon as I get lower than that, it's like thinking about food way too much. Mm-hmm. Like wait it consumes, even with all of the knowledge of that, it's just like, nope, it's like just not worth it. Mm-hmm. And I tried it a lot and it's just like, cool, no, I'm not. Whereas when I'm- literally like 147 148 I don't think about food at all. It's very much like am I hungry am I not hungry is it there's something about once I get a certain level lower it's just that's that's what happens. So it's just not worth it for me in any way shape or form. Um yeah and you know the whole people don't really care da da da, da. I also think man something that's so interesting that we're seeing now sort of <clears throat> maybe aging ourselves again with this discussion, but not aging ourselves like in terms of real age, but aging ourselves in terms of time in the industry. You and I were really involved in the industry early on when people would go through massive weight cuts and do all of this crazy shit just for a photo shoot Mm
0: -hmm.
1: for their fitness content. Mm -hmm. They would do 16-week insane cuts. But here's the thing. They wouldn't tell anyone about it. They wouldn't tell anyone they were cutting weight. They wouldn't tell anyone that they were going to do a photo shoot. This wasn't public information. All that we would see are super high quality pictures of this person shredded to bits, men and women, just Mm -hmm. insane, insane leanness. And what they would do is they would bring a whole bunch of different outfits to the photo shoot and they would plan a whole bunch of different scenes and different places to go. So they would have all of this content where they could post it for three, six months, 12 months, whatever it is, and always appear to be that lean. Whereas now, <laughs> not only is that not, not common practice, it's it would be seen as fraudulent Mm -hmm. it would be it would be you'd be looked down on immediately and people even talk about it now people will say oh that person's only been posting pictures from when they were on stage in their bodybuilding show but I haven't seen them do any videos recently and I haven't seen them post anything more recent people are aware of it and I think in in where we are at this point in the industry if you want to work with everyday people I actually think you have a better chance of success not being unbelievably shredded to bits and just being open and honest about where you are and what your lifestyle looks like and what your happiest and healthiest physique looks like. I think you have a much better chance of building a great, great business as opposed to constantly trying to be shredded.
0: I I actually, this might surprise people. I agree with that, though I think there's a, there's still a range that your body is still one of your best marketing tools, whether you want it to be or not. Yep. But I think that like the 5% and like maybe unnatural amounts of muscle, like real, like steroid bodybuilder look doesn't appeal to as many general pop potential clients. However, someone who wants to lose weight, build muscle, get stronger, feel better is going to relate to you is going to respect you more as a coach is going to want to work with you more if you're 10 to 15% rather than 30 to
1: 35%. Yeah. Correct. Uh-huh. I
0: mean, yeah, that's, that's no question, but, but there's like a lot of health at every size coaches. And by the way, that's actually an interesting, Atia gets to some of that in the book about, uh, metabolic syndrome in people who are like basically the percentage of obese people who actually have good blood work versus the percentage of non-obese people who have bad blood work, which, which is, which is pretty interesting. Um, it's a t- we'll get there.
1: Yeah. I think that's the perfect example of playing to your audience and the health at every size audience is, you know, they're not, not only are they not looking to get super lean, they're often actively looking to go the exact opposite direction. So I think that actually highlights a really good example of if my target audience was 14 to 23-year-old dudes, mm-hmm. then I I better be shredded. Like I just better be shredded to bits if I really want to target 14 to 23-year-old dudes. Because 14 to 23-year-old dudes, generally speaking – want to be shredded mainly because they think that's how they're going to get girls. Ironically, it will not help them get girls. It will just get other dudes really interested in how they got shredded. Um, Whereas now as I've gotten older and it's as I've gotten older and as I've progressed in my life, my target audience has changed. My target client has changed. Um, It's now like, and it has been for some time now, but moms and dads, and and just everyday people who they don't want to get shredded, they, they're not interested in it. And I think ne- I think now people the the average consumer is far more educated now than they were before. Mm-hmm. Actually, even Peter Atia posted something on his Instagram the other day about it. I thought was really interesting. He posted a screenshot from uh, uh a doctor's note. Basically, a doctor had like this guy's mm-hmm. son was going in to get his blood work done or something. And the doctor's note said, hey, this guy's father has done a lot of research on Peter Atia and actually knows a lot about lipid metabolism. And it's like the average consumer knows a lot more now. And I think the average consumer tends to know that they probably don't want to be lean, like unbelievably lean and shredded all year because there have been enough people talking about how fucking awful it is. And they've exposed what it's actually like. So, I just i i think unless you're the .00001 percent that is just naturally shredded all the time, it's not worth your health, your sanity, or your business to try and do that. It's just it's and and on the other on the other end, we're not saying like get unbelievably overweight either, but in. We can sort of ping pong this because then the other question is, and I just got this the other day in my, in my DMs, someone was asking like, Hey, I'm like seriously, seriously overweight, but I want to be a personal trainer because I've already lost a significant amount of weight and I've improved my relationship with food. Is it okay for me to be a personal trainer? And it's like, absolutely. It's okay. I think it's going to be more difficult for you in the beginning because you still don't quote unquote, look like, you know what you're talking about. But sharing your story, sharing your journey, sharing your progress as you continue to to get to your ultimate goal will also build people's trust and build more confidence in yourself. So it's not to say that you can't be a heavier coach, uh, but I would also be very aware. Like there is a certain point where it's like if, if your goal is to help people lose weight, it helps a lot for you to ha- look like you know how to do it. Yeah whether you actually know how to or not.
0: Meaning, yeah. meaning you can look out of shape and know what to do and be a great coach, but you know f- for better or worse,
1: perception matters, especially in this example. I think about it as like uh, a pitching coach. Like you can have a pitching coach for baseball who knows all of the mechanics and all of the, like everything that they need to get their athlete to do. But if then that pitching coach tries to throw a strike down the middle and they throw like, you know, like a a six-year-old girl, they they throw with the same arm, same leg, and like it just looks really fucking terrible. It's like, no one's going to be like, okay, well, that's the pitching coach I need to hire. Just because based on what it looks like, they could have an amazing amount of knowledge and actually help you be an amazing pitcher. But if they don't know how to do it, it's a tremendous amount of perception involved. Yeah, 100%.
0: It's funny you brought that up about the the doctor. Remember when I was going to see a cardiologist, just wanted like a heart checkup back in the fall. And I remember having this consult and being like, yeah, I'm interested in my APOB. Like I want to know my LP little a, like I'm, I'm like listing all these things. And I remember talking to you after, and you're like, do you think all these doctors are like, shit, we got another one who listens to a Tia's (laughs)
1: podcast. Like (laughs) a hundred percent they do. Yeah. Yeah. They're pissed especially because they might come back and say something like, oh, yeah, your LDL is a little bit high. And the person's like, well, doesn't that not really matter as much as like yeah. the total ratio? <laughs> yeah, yeah, Like yeah. they have to – because listen, I think up until very recently, people have taken doctor's words at face value and like you're the doctor, you're the boss. It is what it is. And now doctors are going to start getting questioned a little bit. And they probably don't like that. There's There's definitely
0: an element of that. There's also just the way that the system's set up like – insurance covers some things and not other things. And and he talks about medicine 2.0 versus medicine 3.0 and basically being reactive, like in a reactive system like we have now versus focusing more on prevention. And like when I went and got this checkup, the nurses, the front desk lady, like everyone was blown away. to so like, we haven't seen some, a 35 year old here. And I don't even know how long, like you just want to, She's like, I, one of the nurses was like, I really commend you. This is awesome that you're interested in this and and, and doing this. But the, the thought of like, and, and a Tia talks about uh colon cancer screenings being a big one mm. and, and him thinking that that age should be much earlier than what it is now. And he talks about his personal experience of at 40 years old, paying thousands of dollars out of pocket because Basically the, the risk associated with having something at that age and like the cost, it it, it made sense, but it's not something that is standard practice in uh, in the American healthcare system right now or I don't know mm. in other countries. But yeah, it's it'll be interesting to see if and when that shift takes place on a more macro level rather than just – right now we have a bunch of individuals who are trying to improve and better their own health through – Cardio and strength training and nutrition, and, and all these things we know about sleep, stress management. But if and when that bleeds into prevention being
1: part of a, a bigger system, yeah, like trying to, as Atia says, and we'll sort of get into that book club, just little bits and pieces as we get through it. But trying to, he, he says, fast death waits for no one, and something about slow death, how. Just it, you're dying for a long time before it gets to a point in which like you need the reactive stuff. So it's uh, being aware of it from a very early age or for as early as you possibly can to try and take care of it.
0: Yeah, the atherosclerosis that might end up causing heart attack at age 84 for you could start developing in your 30s and and you can do something about that through diet and exercise.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right.
0: Thank you very much for listening. Uh, If you made it this far, please leave a five-star review on Spotify or Apple or wherever you're listening. We really appreciate it. Helps the podcast out a lot. Um, Weekly episodes. We're coming every week. (laughs) Pause. Wow! (laughs) Wow. We're retaining every week. (laughs) (laughs) Have a great day. We'll see you soon.